Up and at him in the morning. Live here. In studio, Chris Lambert. He is the host of the Your Own Backyard podcast, friend of the show. It is great to catch up with you again, my man. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. I mean, I know you had kind of these, uh, you had a few days off that you didn't really expect to have, did you? Yeah, you never really know when they're going to wrap up a, a court date and then just say we're dark for the rest of the week so everyone go home. Yeah, and you are, you're up there every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, what is, so first of all, how did you find somewhere, where are you staying when you go up there? So once they relocated the trial, I got a bunch of offers from Monterey County. Wow. People like, hey, my house isn't being used. I've got an Airbnb you can stay at. Um, so it was like your, so pick, I, your pick of these places. I did. I got That's to look so... at like photos and decide yeah. which one suited me best. And So I'm staying at like a, a perfectly like sized place by myself, isolated, um, pretty close to the courthouse. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, your goal was to be out there every single day for the trial. That's the plan, yeah. And how long do they say this trial could last? So they're estimating October. I've heard that's a pretty conservative estimate that it could last four to six months, um, depending on you know how many. Because they're going to pull up tons of witnesses because it's a circumstantial case. So who knows how long that could go on for. I mean, you think of just like the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial. Like that thing was going on forever. This is like an actual real case. That apparently outlasted only six weeks. When I heard that, it was like it felt like way longer. I know it, it did. So it this did. one is like going to be like five times longer than that. Wow. Now, you see um, Paul Flores and Ruben Flores in courthouse in, in the courtroom every day, right? Yes. They're not like they're via Zoom or whatever. They're like actually right. right there. Yeah, they're present. What is what is what do they do? Are they drawing? What do they look at? Do they look around? Like what's their vibe when you when you're in there? And are people looking at them? And um, yeah, once they got in a bunch of prospective jurors, which the pool for this case was fifteen hundred jurors. Whoa! So they had several courtrooms full of people waiting. Everyone was looking at them. You could see that they were kind of sizing them up, trying to see how they were responding to things that were said. Paul is very stoic. He wears. His COVID mask at all times. Everyone else at the desk takes Which is probably off. his lawyer probably tells him, you better not take that it's mask off. a good strategy. He has this kind of like, he has this very dim look about him. Like he doesn't look like, a, he doesn't look, he doesn't help himself when he, when you can look at his face. Like he just, I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, but you just kind of put two and two together and it's probably best that he keeps that on for him. But man, I almost feel like it's a little bit of a, like it's a, like it's cheap that he gets to wear that mask. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's good timing for him that, that we have something like this. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you listen to the podcast, as far back as childhood, people described him as being creepy and staring all the time. People would say he's always in the corner of a room staring at people. Ugh. And so that's probably a good thing to avoid. Uh, Ruben, however, he's a lot of people have been asking me in photos, you notice he's wearing headphones at all times in the courtroom. So that's a hearing aid. So they hand those out to people who can't hear in the courtroom. And Ruben has requested one so that everything that's said kind of quietly or mumbled that it's amplified for him. Oh, wow. So okay. That's his vibe is just listening and looking around. And he's technically out, right? He shows up to court every day, probably like dressed up. Do the, does the other guy put in a suit on? Does Paul put a suit on? And stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So there was, um, they do the jury selection. Was that pretty, I mean, I know you don't do a lot of these and this is kind of like your first time sitting, you know, 24 seven in a jury selection, but did it seem pretty, not a lot of bombs in the road. There was like this moment at the end where this woman comes out and you're going to tell me what she's like, kind of like disqualifies herself in a way. 
yeah, they had a lot of people who, I mean, you know, a lot of people try to get out for hardships. A lot of people just don't want to serve for that long, which I understand. Yeah. Four to six months you're looking at, um, even if it just lasts till October. That's a big chunk of someone's life. You get paid $15 a day to be there. Ugh. And so you're basically saying, I can afford to quit my job for that long. Um, a lot of people wanted to get out of it. A lot of people didn't have a great reason, and so they tried to say, um, there was this one guy who kept saying he had a religious um, exemption of some kind, and he said, the Bible says only God can judge man, so another man cannot judge another man, and it's like, man, I wish we could all use that to I get know, out of right. this, but uh, that didn't work for him, and yeah. so a lot of people tried different uh, tactics, but then they finally settled down on the 12 jurors. They both agreed, we'll accept this panel as it is, and then this one lady stood up and said, based just on what I've seen in this courtroom, with no prior knowledge of the case, I've already formed an opinion that I don't think I can change. And Did so, you say what the opinion is? I can only no, imagine. No, they didn't want to ask because they didn't uh, want to bias anybody else. Oh, for sure. So it's like, okay, don't say what that opinion is, but could you serve impartially? Could you do what, what's being asked of you? And she said, I don't think so. I don't think anything I hear would change my mind. Whoa. So it's kind of unclear what she meant, but I cannot imagine oh. that she formed a great opinion no. that she's not going to change later. No. On. So um, She's like, this dude's super creepy. I'm pretty much leaving that he's guilty. I haven't even heard anything yet. Right. And I don't know what that's based on, if it's like the look on his face or if it was something one of the attorneys said. But whatever the case, they did take a recess. They came back and, and uh, the defense used one of their challenges to get rid of her. So does that mean you got to go back to the drawing board to find the 12th? Or they, they have alternate, uh, alternates, right? The alternates hadn't been selected yet. Oh, so they've man. got people waiting in, in two courtrooms to fill those seats. So they've got to call new numbers up. They've got to be voir dired, which is where they question the jurors yeah. about their ability to serve. And then they had to select out of those, challenge the ones they didn't want. And so it took a, a little while longer than they expected it to. They were just about to settle. Now, you haven't, you walked this interesting line here, and we talked about this dynamic when you kind of inadvertently became a member of the media through this. Yeah. But you also are an advocate for Kristen. I mean, you can listen to the podcast, and the desire is to find those responsible and, and make them pay the price for what they did to Kristen Smart. So are you concerned at all that maybe you might be brought into this at all? Because you were before, during the prelim, there was the subpoenas, we want everything of Chris's, we want his rough audio, his unedited this, it's like, what? And thankfully you found, you know, a, a First Amendment attorney that was able to stave that off, but do you worry that you're going to be wrangled into this again? Um, I don't worry, only because I, I don't I don't have anything to hide. Sure. Um, I wouldn't mind if, if there was something that I needed to testify to, um, but those tactics, like you're talking about, we want all of your emails, all of your texts. Well, there's a lot of anonymous people who came forward to say, Paul Flores assaulted me, and I'm not comfortable releasing my name. I, and I'm not going to give that to you just because you put pressure on me to. Right. So that's the thing I'm more concerned about is that sort of violation of their privacy. As far as testifying, if that's necessary, I'm totally fine with it. But you're right. The, the weird line between... I am media because I acted as a journalist when I made this documentary. That is the role that I'm serving in. But at the same time, if I wasn't media, I would also be attending just because I'm so involved and I'm so interested, just as I feel like a lot of people in this community are. I think a lot of people want to see justice for Kristen, and that's not necessarily equated to seeing Paul Flores convicted. That's what his attorneys have tried to argue, that the whole community is biased. They want to see this person convicted well what we want is to know what happened to Kristen smart we want Kristen's remains returned to her family and if they're not going to cooperate i mean there needs to be a punishment of some kind or pressure put on them to get that to happen right so do you ever talk to um the smarts at all 
I don't get to as much anymore because technically they are subpoenaed witnesses, at least uh, Denise and Stan are. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about their kids yet, but they also could be subpoenaed. And so there's a gag order on them that they can't share details about the case with anybody in the media since I'm wearing a media badge that includes me. Yeah. Yeah, I know that even like my just the times that I would like text and he's now it's like through the intermediary. Like there's just no talk right. with them. And they've been they've adhered to that like strictly. So is it weird to like be in the courtroom knowing that you know them well and that they, you know, they are big fans of you and your work and your heart and you your heart goes to them. But like we're not talking. Is that weird? It's super weird to be in a room where there's a couple people who I know love me, and there's a couple people that I know hate me. Whoa, I mean, trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's being in there and knowing there are people in this room who wish that I was not here, and there's people in this room who really care deeply it's about me. It's probably like if I were to think of the two people in life that love me the most... And the two people, or that are thankful for my work, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the two people that, like, would probably choose to have me dead, and all, them all being in the same room, you literally have that. Yeah, it's a strange, strange dynamic, and so I have to be the professional one. You know, I can't sit right next to the smart family and, right. and uh, comfort them and all the things that I would do if I were just a friend, but I also can't be giving dirty looks to the Flores family. No. That's, you know, I'm just there as a another journalist Do you play that poker face pretty well i think so what um any mrs flores you have any weird looks with her i mean because weren't there like were some weird looks be between the flores family and you before um yeah i mean it's awkward to be sitting in the hallway with these people because they know who i am i know who they are but we're not talking mm -hmm. and so no i i would say that it's just we're, we're there and we've got to just stay in our own lane yeah that's a great way to put it chris lambert the your own backyard podcast uh, we're going to come back with him. I'm curious to ask um, what you hear, what you think as far as uh, the talk of maybe a plea deal and, and more. We've got uh, Chris Lambert here. He is up and Adam in the morning. Thanks for being up and Adam in the morning. It is The Crush, 92.5. Adam Montiel in studio. Chris Lambert, he's the host of the Your Own Backyard podcast. He is live in studio, up and Adam in the morning. Chris, what up, my man? Happy Friday. Thanks, man. You, uh, Your music's almost done. Your album, huh? It is, yeah. I took a little break after the prelim to start actually laying that down. Uh, and then each time there's like a trial update, I'm like, oh, I've got six months to work on it. Now I've got two. And like, I have to jump. Because you really prioritize, I mean, your music has been everything, but you really prioritize this mission, this trial over your music. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, this music is what I've done my entire life. But once I did this, like, I've got to see it through to the end. And now that it's there, I never expected we were ever going to get into a courtroom, you know, when yeah. I made the documentary to start off with i just thought why isn't anybody doing anything about this and then stuff starts happening so i didn't see this coming has your sweetheart ever said like babe you gotta put this down we need to do like has there <laughs> ever been like times where your partner says like okay I, I get it but come on no um she's been very supportive through it i i think um maybe quietly she's concerned sometimes when i'm up at like three in the morning with google earth open i'm yeah. like have you seen the way that this changed over time you know, oh my gosh um, did, you, did you really do that oh yeah you i were mean, looking at when, different google earth things and in, in the in the beginning when i was first trying to figure out where could she possibly be yeah people would call in with tips or like send me emails saying i always heard a rumor that she was buried here and I'm like, okay, well, let me see if I can pull up satellite images, see how it changed over time, see who owns that property, look up real estate records, try to see if there's any connection. I really went in deep as much as I could because it's like she could be anywhere. No one has covered this like you, Chris. Um, you think there's going to be a plea ar ar agreement before we get into things? 
I have no idea. I really don't know how that stuff works, and it's stuff that is usually discussed behind the scenes. I expect that if there is a plea, the way we're going to find out is I'm going to show up in court, and they're going to say court's dismissed today because it's been... Yeah, yeah, I imagine you get there probably the day of, first day of the trial, Yeah, and they're going to say, yeah, it looks like we've come to an agreement on something. Yeah, very well could be. I really don't know what the defense's strategy is with that. Um, there's definitely a part of me, and this is only me, that I wish that that's what would happen because I think yeah. the the stress of a trial on everyone. I mean, I mean, I'm even including the defendant in that. I it's too much to go through when it's such a simple solution. If you if you know where Kristen is located, this should be over with by now. Yeah, and they do. I think just look. I can always see this going one way, and to give this family what they deserve, and that's their daughter. And let them have their daughter. Like, it just makes no sense to not do that. You would hope, even at the end, because, I don't know, I would just think, like, especially, this is your last chance to move whatever chips you feel you have. And their attorney is a pretty savvy dude, unfortunately. He's, a, he's He knows what he's doing. Um, these are your chance to move whatever chips you have. Try and get, I mean, I don't think the death penalty is even on the table. It's in California. No. But, um I don't know what that means, if it's a reduced thing or who knows. I mean, he's still going to have to pay for what he did. But, um, yeah, this is your chance to maybe lessen the severity of that by giving us Kristen. Right. And I guess in their position, if you really feel like there's a good chance that it's going to be hard to prove in court, which, you know, with circumstantial evidence, then you roll the dice and, and see what comes up. I wouldn't gamble it if it was me, but I'm not them. That's a really good point. This is a circumstantial case, but we were talking off the air about what you think are going to be those really heavy pieces of evidence. And some of them are just that. I mean, I think of when we were talking about, um, you know, Stan Smart being right over this area, looking in there, feeling this and, and knowing that they're driving away and still restraining himself and not uh, going in there. And then you look at what came up in the prelim in these, I mean, talk about some of these like pictures of the soil. You saw photographs of the soil that definitely looked like something's up. Yeah. The, the, space underneath Ruben Flores's deck where they now believe that Kristen was once buried but is no longer there there's a void in the soil so like the ground penetrating radar showed that something had been there about six feet by like three feet um, so they dug down and it's a big empty space now but there's these telltale signs that something was buried there one person testified that she saw what she called a bathtub ring of decomposition around the outer edge of that void. Meaning like, you know, when you have like soap scum in a bathtub yeah. and you drain it and it leaves that ring around yeah. the outside, that's what you're seeing, but it's basically decomposition fluids. A lot of people, including myself, were very confused about, well, where's the blood and or why is there so much blood? And the answer to that is it's not blood. It's a combination of all the fluids that that are released when a body decomposes and blood being one of those things. And then we had another person testify that in grains of sand taken from those samples, they tested positive five separate times for human blood. So there was a human buried in that void at some point. That's something that their defense attorneys are going to have to explain. Now there's exceptions to the rule. Human blood shares some similarities with like ferret blood, for instance. So they might get an expert to testify. There was a ferret that they had as a pet Please. that nobody ever saw right. and it died and they buried it. But then they decided to dig it up because they didn't want it buried under there 20 years later. And, and they needed a six foot grave for it. Right. There's got to be a, a strange explanation. Right. Whatever the case, that's the kind of damning stuff that is going to come out. 
but we don't have DNA to tie it to Kristen. And that's the, the missing piece is we don't know 100% for sure that it was her, but look at the circumstantial evidence that has always pointed to this family having her body and all the speculation for years that she had been buried at one of their houses, and then they find a hole with human blood in it under... One of their houses. Do you, did you see the photograph of that disturbed soil? There were many photographs of that because they took photos every time they dug a new layer off. They were very careful. They're, they've got brushes like paleontologists going Whoa. down. So we got progress photos. And there was a certain point where we're looking at this void in the soil with this staining in it, um, this dark red staining in that soil that a few people had to get up and leave the courtroom. So it was a very, and I remember you saying this when we talked several months ago, this was like the most jarring and emotive moment moment in the courtroom. I think it was hard for even the people in the media to have that on the projector screen for 20 minutes while they're just talking and dealing with court stuff, and we're looking up there like a human was in that hole. And, And she's not there anymore. And the people that loved her are sitting right there looking at it too. And so... There, it was tough to look at that kind of stuff. Your best guess is always something, we always talk about this every time you visit, um, it's always changing and evolving. What, what now? Where now do you think? If you had your best guess today, where do you think she went? That's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm hesitant about getting into, only because, you know, if I tell you, and this is being broadcast, then the people who know where she currently is are going to hear it, uh-huh. and they might consider if that's a good place to keep her okay um, that's the kind of stuff i'm nervous about but i i certainly have gone back and forth but i'm pretty you know i'm i have a good idea of yeah. what happened Will you tell me off the air sure i'm yeah. so curious um they're gonna allow uh, cameras in the courtroom no so the judge made a ruling early on you know there's a protective order in this case what we call a gag order sometimes that nobody is supposed to talk to the media Another one of those things is that this case is not going to be broadcast. There's not going to be cameras there. There's no audio, video recording in the courtroom. So it's not only not being broadcast, it's not being saved anywhere. Um, there's one pool photographer who's in charge of taking photos that we all share. We get them uploaded to a Google Drive during breaks so we can use them for our posts or whatever. Wow. Um, but that's literally it. So we've all got these they got notebooks. Ske- they got sketch. Oh, you, got a, you upgraded your notebook. Yeah, I've got... Look at you. <laughs> So we are taking handwritten notes that are probably illegible to little, little leather the average case person. There? Look at you. I, we need to get you. We need to upgrade your pen. You're, you know, that's you are the Chris o- Lambert. <laughs> You're not using a big round stick medium point. Come on. I'm obsessed with those pilot ballpoint pens, okay. but they smear like crazy. This yeah. is the one pen I found that does not smear as I'm writing. So... I went that route. You got a little leather in the reporters. Thing. Now, now you're a true media member now. <laughs> you got the little leather thing. Um, so are probably going to have like sketch people in there doing. I mean, remember, you know, like you see like the sketch artists and stuff. I haven't heard anything about that, but I sure hope, I sure hope there's some documentation of what yeah. goes on in the courtroom. Um, we were staying in New Kuyama for a few days at that Buckhorn Hotel and met this couple from San Pedro. And they're very, they live around the corner from, yeah. from where he did. And man, it was a talk. Like he was well known in that area at bars and just listening to these two people, you know, talk about it. And then they, of course, were familiar with your podcast afterwards. And, but, um, really interesting that even just that area, like no matter where this guy lived, existed, he just carried this vibe of just creepy dude. Yeah. You know? There, there were places that I wasn't even aware that he had lived until people started emailing me to say, oh, yeah, he was always in this neighborhood. He always frequented these bars. Mm. And I'd have to go back and try to track it. And like, sure enough, yeah, you're right. He did live there for a while. 
you glad and you feel it's right that they move the trial? Um, I really don't have an opinion about it. I didn't think it was a like a huge loss either way. Um, it's a commute. You know, I've got to drive three hours to get up there, and I'm trying to be there as often as possible. Yeah. So that's tough, but I honestly don't think it's going to impact. I, I think any jury looking at this kind of evidence, they're gonna they're gonna fall on one side or the other. You're gonna always have people who feel that in a circumstantial case like this, if we don't see the body, we don't know for a fact that she's dead, and we can't convict somebody. I think you're gonna have that here just as much as you would have had anywhere else. Um, but there's also, you know, there, there's it's strong circumstantial evidence. And oh you've God. got a lot of witnesses yeah. in this case who put them together, who contradict statements he made to the police. You've got injuries on his body as soon as she goes missing, which he lies about. Yeah, There's right. just a lot going on here. I think, uh, you know, often, and I don't know what the rate, at percentage rate of that these cases are able to be closed successfully, but, I mean, I watch a lot of crime TV. You feel like people put together two and two. We can put two and two together. We got minds. We got brains. And, like, the circumstantial, albeit circumstantial evidence in this case is just like, come on, let's let's just do this. Let's get this over with. And, yeah. you know, it just seems so, like, two plus two to me. Uh, we're going to come back with Chris Lambert. He is of the Your Own Backyard podcast. Um, talk more about what they're doing. Some of the, the more... I've never heard of like two juries, separate juries, things like that. We'll talk to Chris Lambert more on the way. It's Up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. He's in studio right now. Chris Lambert, thanks for being Up and Adam in the morning, my friend. No problem. I wanted to ask you so many things. Okay, so with separate juries, that's kind of an interesting dynamic, huh? Yeah, I'd never heard of it before this. So they decided that, um, I guess in cases where the statement of one defendant could implicate the other defendant in a crime, that they will do this where they've got two separate juries, one for each defendant, but not separate trials. So the trial is the same. Both juries will be in the courtroom at all times, except for when there's a statement being made that could implicate one defendant or another. The opposite jury will be asked to leave. So they have to get up and leave the room and come back. Oh. And so I guess there's, so there's um, 12 seats for the jury in the jury box. One jury will sit there one week, and then the following week they'll switch. And the other one has to sit in the audience with the media and the family and all those. That's interesting. Yeah. And they're small courtrooms, too. They're um, Right. Because I've been to the San Luis Obispo one now. These courtrooms are, they feel tiny. And they're like wooden church pews. Yeah. So they're not comfortable. Yeah. And there's not a lot of space in there. So we're going to be pretty packed in there. They've already got an overflow courtroom going where we're watching on like a Zoom screen. Uh -huh. And so that's, I guess. Like a satellite room or something. Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, as an attorney or even what, one thing I noticed a lot during that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, I've referenced it a few times, not like I watched all of it, um, was Amber Heard really tried to play towards the jury. Yeah. So she would receive a question from the an attorney and then she would turn and answer. And I felt it, it felt really weird to me. Um, but that's weird because, but often attorneys will definitely look at the jury and address the jury. And in this case, it's like you're looking at the jury box, but then you're also looking into the, the gallery too. Yeah. I think, and just in my opinion, it feels like speaking directly to the jury is kind of a bad technique. It looks like you're putting on a show. It looks like sure. you're trying to appeal to mm -hmm. them as opposed to just answering the question of the person who just asked it to you. Right. So you'll get asked a question sometimes and you're like, right, and then you turn to the jury and start telling a story. Yeah. I think they're pretty inclined not to believe you. I totally think, so. and what would happen, they didn't. You right. know? So uh, it's super interesting. I think you're totally onto something. How are you choosing to cover this event? Because nobody has covered it like you. But then I remember during the prelim, you went to exhausting lengths to, and you were very comprehensive, 
But to what extent are, is this just like so much on your shoulders and to do? It's like, I can't do all this. Yeah. And I learned some hard lessons in the prelim. Um, I attempted to take a, like a word for word transcription by hand in my notebook oh and then go home and try to decipher what I had written because it's so sloppy and then also type it all up and then get it on the blog before I went to bed that night and then I'd have to get up the next morning. So you spend like eight hours in the courtroom and then four hours at home typing and then go right to bed and wake up and drive again. And it was just by like the fifth or sixth day and I was like, I don't know if I have the energy to keep this up. Then that whole subpoena thing happened. I got subpoenaed and for a while it was unclear like what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't. So I stopped doing it. I picked it up again once I was dismissed as a witness and I still have not caught up on those days. So the days that I didn't type up, they're still in my notebooks and I've still got to type them up. And I tried to do it a few times during the break and like, it's just so exhausting. Yeah. It's so much work. I'm also well, you not still, very... You still feel like you got to go back to that now? No, no. But, okay, but people God. ask all the time and I kept saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm right. planning to do that. And I still, you know, eventually I would like to get that out because it's interesting what happened during the prelim, but the same stuff is going to come out at trial. And my plan this time around is to take only the necessary notes about things that I think the public would want to know that they wish they could see if there were a camera in the courtroom and then go home on the weekends and record just like a half hour to an hour long episode where I'm just talking through, we saw this and then the judge said this. And so I couldn't possibly make a documentary about what's going on in the courtroom while it's happening. Mm -hmm. So there won't be a real like regular episode for a while because the trial's happening. Do you do this with music? This kind of extent? I mean, it almost sounds like, and I don't mean this in a anything but a, in a compliment, but like there's like this neurotic in a way where you're very like specific your brain is like a perfectionist or something where it's like it has to be right it has to be complete to like a standard that you set for yourself that is is almost to me seems unattainable yeah i think that's a theme of my life is it that, is I'm okay. that type of person yeah, 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 everything yeah. i do yeah so you'll jump into something and just like okay we gotta really but something that means that you gotta rein yourself in a little bit so when you cover it this way we're gonna do what like weekly Weekly things or what? That's the plan, unless there's weeks where there's just not a lot happening. Um, obviously, it's not necessary. I'm sure there will be dark weeks in there where the court uh, goes quiet. And uh, But otherwise, yeah, each time that there's a, a week with stuff going on, I'll try to put out an episode about everything we saw, like which witnesses we heard from um, and, and what they said that added to the case. Yeah. That's going to be uh, that's going to be quite a, a feat once again. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this: if you need any help with editing or production or like mastering or things like that, I'm happy to help you. Cool. So if you want to send audio my way, and you know, hey Adam, cut this up, or I just vo I did a voiceover, cut this up, and you know, I'd love it to be around 20 minutes or whatever. whatever. If you need help from me, like I'm down. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, we got uh, Chris Lambert here. He is from the of the Your Own Backyard podcast where we did get a, a recent episode. And uh, are we getting closer to any kind of thing like, you know, every time I, you come in here, I ask you about things, a book or uh, different other people that may have approached you, Netflix special this or that. Have you gotten anywhere closer to these things that I've tried to tell you you need to do? <laughs> no, I, I mean, not that I'm seriously considering. Um, I, I like the idea of a book only because it feels like a comprehensive way to get all the information out. But also, it doesn't feel like selling my soul mm -hmm. in the way that like a Netflix series does. I had a lot of offers that I passed on because they just felt 
something felt weird about it, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I didn't want to cash in on the fact that the podcast was successful. Like, it did what it intended to do. Stuff started moving forward, and then all the big companies, I mean, you name them, they reached out to me and asked, can we buy this and air it on our network or something? And, wow. and it just never felt right to me. So a book feels like the cleanest, simplest way to do that, yeah. but I don't have any immediate plans to do that. It's just something that I have in the back of my head. Yeah, it's kind of like Dave Congleton said, like, if you don't do it, somebody else will, and you should be the one to do this. Yeah, somebody will absolutely jump on that idea. And it may, it may happen either way, you do or don't. Sure. But, like, you would you would be the quintessential voice that I think people would want to, you know, connect with when, when, when all is said and done. Yeah. And maybe that's the kind of thing you start now, and, you know, by the time there is a verdict or something down the line, end of the year, who knows, you know, because maybe, then... Maybe I have. Maybe you have, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> well, Yeah. I've got I've got some things that I am setting aside that who knows what will happen yeah. in the future and it also really depends on how this trial turns out. There's there's different roads that I might take depending on each um I I've also had the idea of I really really think from being in this position now and meeting not only the smart family but other families of victims who have been through similar things sure. who I've met through the smart family sometimes or people who have reached out to me it is a very, very difficult road when you have a family member who goes missing or murdered and you kind of feel like you know what happened or who might have done it and the sheriff's department is telling you just be quiet, let us do our work and you kind of feel like maybe they're not, they're not doing their job. What are you supposed to do? And there's no roadmap for that. No. And that's, I kind of thought about it would be nice to interview those people and sit down like what techniques worked for you and what didn't. Because in some cases, there are people who have been waiting for justice for a long, long, long time, and it has never come. And then some people just get lucky, and it's it wraps up really quickly. Right. Unbelievable. We got uh, Chris Lambert here. We're going to continue in the 9 o'clock hour with the uh, host and producer of the Your Own Backyard podcast. I'm curious to ask you about your music. I know you've been producing an album and also, if you want to support Chris, um, and this just came via a text to me, and this is certainly nothing that Chris tells me to do, and he gets very shy, but uh, you can go to yourownbackyardpodcast.com. There is a donate button, and um, for all the work that he has been doing, you can donate there, yourownbackyardpodcast.com. More with Chris Lambert on the way. I am up and Adam in the morning. I am up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. Chris Lambert, he is of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. It's great to have you up and Adam in the morning. Thanks for hanging out, dude. No problem. So, um, I was asking you off the air, well, you know, like, cause you got the day off, like, what are you guys going to get into? You said, uh, you and your gal, you're going to be watching, um, you're doing a bad movie marathon. We are. We try to, <laughs> as often as possible, we invite a friend over and just watch like the worst movies we can find. Like cringy, kind of just like. Yeah. Or like notoriously bad movies that like the room, you remember the room? Yeah. Where, like, yeah. People yeah. would go to showings because <laughs> it was so bad, but, uh, right. we watched all of the Nicholas Sparks movies, like every Nicholas Sparks book that's been turned into a movie. Right. And so there were some. Okay ones, like The Notebook's pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, Walk to Remember is okay, right. but then there's like uh, The Best of Me, like movies I'd never even heard of before that were just like, what are we watching? Like the most bizarre <laughs> plot twist. Someone and you'll just dies. go through, you won't turn them off, you'll just... No, what we'll do is we'll watch them and then we'll post like Instagram updates like, okay, here's what happened since we last updated you. Like, this girl <laughs> is like... so good. It, it's so weird. And so uh. we, we got like a pretty good response on Instagram from people who are like, I love it when you guys do your Sparks Nights. Yeah. So we try to do that as often as we can. You know what movie you could include in your um, in your cringe movie fest? Ishtar. Remember that one? I remember hearing about it. I've never okay, seen so that one. Ishtar is an old comedy. It's like Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty. 
Okay. Right. So yeah. here we are, two fantastic actors in just what is the silliest and most dumb movie. They play like pretty dim dudes, almost like not all the way Jeff Daniels, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. But in that vein, you could see yeah. some of those similarities. And they're trying to, they're songwriters, so it goes right down, you know, they want to have a hit song, they want to be musicians. Uh -huh. And they go all over the world trying to get this song to become something, and it's called uh, Ishtar. And it's it's pretty good. Like, I would think that should be on your yeah. on your thing. We'll add it. <laughs> you got to add Ishtar. One thing you guys, um, you and uh, your partner were doing on Insta, because I follow you both, was stuff I Googled this week. Oh, yeah. And this is, I almost wanted to steal this, but I didn't want you to think I was being lame. But this is such a good thing because we will Google things all the time. And you, your Google history is like such this like <laughs> uncomfortable inside look into where your crazy mind is. Not just you, but me, yeah. all, us all, right? Yeah. So you would literally just open up and put stuff you Googled this week. But then just that slide in and of itself is really funny and, and I think it's so eye-opening but then the next slides will actually be the answers yeah so like my girlfriend started it it was her idea and then a few of her friends started doing it and so I was like let me just look at my Google history and it was nuts it was I know like, whoa I googled all that this week <laughs> so yeah I started posting like screenshots of the Wikipedia pages I got led to I started throwing polls up that's like do you remember this song and when it was popular right and I'm always really surprised by what people do and don't remember and what they have and haven't been exposed to. I found out this week that almost nobody had heard of a zero bar before. You know, the candy bar? It's no. A, okay, it's a candy bar with white chocolate. It's basically like a Snickers, but white. Okay. And I found out this week that, like, nobody had ever heard of it, and it's my favorite candy bar. It's really? So it's like, well, I didn't know that that was rare. So I find out stuff every week. I learn new things, and what sometimes my, the things I'm Googling, though, are so embarrassing that I just don't post them. So I know. I'm looking like I, I Googled QVC for some reason, slice of cheese pizza meaning, <laughs> Japanese vintage glassware company. Um, uh, what are the, what does, what exactly makes something fair trade? But yeah, our, our, uh, our Google history. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But then I love how you would like go back and answer them though. Like you would yeah. research and go do some stuff. I'm totally, now you, now you know if I steal that, it's, it's out of homage to, to you and her. Go for it. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Hey, uh, last time we had you, uh, literally in my own backyard, which was uh, awesome, it was many, many months ago, we talked about the Gabby Petito case yeah. because it was very, very fresh and going on right then, and we were just kind of putting things together. One of the aspects of the Gabby Petito case that I found really interesting, as did you, was this dynamic where the person, the guy who's guilty, um, his parents, like, are like sheltering him and helping out and helping not get information to where it needs to go. And that's very, very clean comparison to what we see the Flores family doing um, and have been doing for years over this Kristen Smart case. And when we saw where the Gabby Petito case ended literally just a week or so ago or earlier this week with the note, I mean, what did you think about some of those similarities that kind of remain still? It's it's been really interesting to see those parallels. Um, even from the start, there was suspicion that you know his parents knew and that they were helping cover it up. And I thought this is so unusual. It seems unusual that it, like a lot of people who have talked to me about the Kristen Smart case are like, if my son did something, I could never ever cover for him. I just as much as I love him, I would tell him to do the right thing. And um, my mom told me if you get arrested, 
they give you one phone call, yeah. don't make it me. <laughs> right. Because she's like, if you did something wrong, you're going to pay the price for what you did wrong. Yeah. Certainly, if I got in the mix of like something as heinous as a crime like this, my, there's no way that she would have supported. You know, it's, probably, it's not like you don't love your kid anymore. You're probably severely disappointed. Yeah. But you don't help them out. You don't become an accomplice. Like, I don't get it. Right. Yeah, it's it's not something that I can relate to, but you see it again in this case popping up. Yeah. And I think just this week, um, Gabby's parents filed a lawsuit against uh, Brian's parents saying that they had inflicted emotional distress on them by knowing the location of her remains or knowing that she had passed away and how she had, but not coming forward with that information. But not only that, by making a public statement saying, we wish the best for this family, we hope they find their daughter, when they really knew where she was all along, and that the judge ruled in this case, this is incredibly callous and cruel behavior to see from one mother to another. And that's what we've been saying in the smart case all along yeah and you know just like the Kristen smart case and with paul flores you see a lot of these circumstantial elements play a role in gabby petito's case like oh we saw them fighting over here we got the um cam from the cop during the stop like all these things like piece together you know, different aspects that we're able to go like, oh, this is not a good situation. Right. Yeah. And you, you have no eyewitnesses to the actual murder. Right. But you have enough to piece together that we know who's responsible for this. So now and then he writes this like eight page kind of letter. And in there he talks about Gabby perhaps um, getting a bump on her head. She's out in the cold. She's wet. Um, and I didn't understand. He didn't really say what happened or if he even knew I'm carrying her for a long time as long as I could. And then she asked me to like put her out of her misery. Like, I don't believe any of this. Yeah. It seems like just distancing, distancing himself from the crime itself. Yeah. Um, trying to make himself look like he's not such a bad guy when it seems like their the pattern in their relationship was this, this rage and this codependence and right. all that stuff. And you saw that in the body cam footage you saw it in the witnesses who came forward that saw them in a diner like earlier the day that she they believe she died so um it seemed like there was a lot of violence a lot of fighting and i can't imagine that just coincidentally she got in an accident and then she said you know put me out of my misery i'm in a lot of pain so it's the idea something happens with them he does what he does he goes back home for a matter of a few days right. must I guess tell his parents like, "Hey, I got to get out of here." Just so you know, something happened. I don't know. Do you think he tells them everything? What do you think? Yeah, he. I mean, I can't imagine that he says, "I got really angry and killed her because I was mad." Yeah, but he probably lets them know that she's dead and that where her body is and all that. I would. I would and then think. he says, "I got to get out of here." Right. He goes. Doesn't go back to her per se. Right. He goes to this creek where he does himself in. I think before that, they went on a family camping trip with his sister, like the parents, and That's right. they all went camping somewhere where they checked in and checked out, and they said they hadn't That's been there, right. that he had been there, but then he hadn't, and it's really unclear what happened, but it seems that they definitely knew that he was fleeing, and that they, they sheltered him, and um, they harbored him, and then they put out this statement saying, we wish that the family would find their daughter. What a bunch of weirdos. It is very much like what the Flores family did. Like, just to be able to sit there and have these conversations, like, Mrs. Flores, and you're just talking and just, like, you know in the back of your head, like, this is complete. Right. One of the things that I keep coming back to, regardless of, like, who did this and who's responsible, like, I won't even put that on them. If if your son is accused of killing somebody and he was the last person seen with her, he's got these injuries, it sure looks suspicious, you can understand why the other family might 
think that he had something to do with it. So invite them over, sit them down and say, look, let's sit down in the living room in a neutral space. I'll be there to protect him. And he'll answer any questions you have about what happened with your daughter that night. And because I know he didn't do it. And anything you want to know, he's going to answer it. That's what I would think normal parents would do in a situation like that. Well, that's what you do when you're innocent, Chris. Exactly, right. Uh, we have Chris Lambert here. He's of the Your Own Backyard podcast, uh, 903-1974. It's Up and Adam in the Morning. More with Chris Lambert coming up. You're Up and Adam in the Morning. Up and Adam in the Morning. Thanks for being Up and Adam in the Morning. It is The Crush 92.5 in studio. Your Own Backyard podcast host, Chris Lambert. He is attending every single day of the trial that is meant to do away with those responsible for the death and disappearance of Christian Smart. It's been um, decades and decades that we've been waiting for uh, this to come to this point. And if you remember and have been following at least some of our conversations with Chris, there were a lot of pieces of his podcast that were um, instrumental in helping move this case along. Also, I think the fact that, you know, um, I think that Sheriff Ian Parkinson kind of put the gas on things in ways that hadn't been before. And, I mean, we've even learned in some of these interviews where you... Like with the truck and stuff, where there has been correlation or some dealings with you and the authorities. Yeah, I think at a certain point they thought, um, you know, that people are listening to the podcast. It might be to our benefit to get some information out that way. Were you surprised when you first got that call to be like almost like working with them in a way? Was that a little bit unnerving and like, whoa, okay? Well, you know, it started with them saying, okay, we'll we'll agree to sit down with you and do the interview that you requested months back. That uh, mm-hmm. by that time. They had come back to me. It's like, I'm pretty much done. So I got to do a new episode. But it was, I interviewed them several times. And then it was like, I had let them know if it's at all beneficial, you know, if there's a message you'd like to get out, I would certainly like to help you broadcast that, whether it's, hey, we are working, you know, like they did say, we're going to get you some statistics about the amount of money we've put into this case, the amount of searches we've done. So they put all that together and, and let me release it in the episode. And then at a certain point, they're like, you know, we've got this stuff that we're working on that we sure would like to get out there. They didn't tell me why, but I, you know, speculated on why it could be. And uh, and it was, sure. the, it, it was the truck. Repeat that truck because it's yeah. a pretty fascinating story. Yes. Yeah, so they, they had recently located one of the, the family trucks that had been sold off uh, not long after Kristen went missing. All the, all the vehicles the family owned when Kristen went missing were gone within like six months to a year. And one of them was apparently stolen and then it was recovered and... So it was like they said, we, we've recovered those trucks because I speculated, where are they now? And they said, we've got them. Um, and we would like to get that information out. Would you be willing to share that you have them? It's like, or that we have them. And I s- said, sure. But I was kind of suspicious. I kind of almost felt like, are you setting me up? Like, are you going to have me release this and then say, that's wrong? We didn't say that at all. Ooh, so right. I, I came back with them and I said, I want to see the trucks. Like, I want, I want to know that they're there. And so they're like, well, we got to have a meeting and we got to discuss that kind of stuff. So I don't know what went, what was going on behind the scenes or I, I found out later that they had wiretaps and they were listening to the Flores family's phone conversations that they were discussing the podcast on those. So they were discussing, well, then it might be good for us to put this info out in the podcast and see Wait, how so pause. So you would get information that the Flores family is literally talking about your podcast within their conversations via taps. I didn't get that information until the preliminary hearing yeah. where they released that. That was all secret. God, that so felt so good. All, huh? they, all that, that I good? knew. That I mean, good. in a way, I mean, I assumed they were probably paying close attention. Yeah. The whole community's listening to this thing, but 
I didn't know about wiretaps or anything that was going on. So, you know, the defense has raised that and tried to tried to get the, the case dismissed and say that's outrageous government conduct that they would that they would do something like this. It's like, well, they're just using the podcast to disseminate information. Yeah. That's all that they're doing. They yeah. And he keeps trying to call it disinformation. He keeps saying you release disinformation through the podcast. Well, there's no disinformation. They have recovered one of the trucks. Yeah. And I did get an email. Well, that word is getting played out so much right now. Right. I did you get a, an anonymous email. Uh-huh. It was just that I knew who it came from. Right. But I did get an anon- anonymous email telling me we recovered one of those trucks. And so I just put that in the podcast because they said that would be beneficial on our end and and the way that it played out and what was going on behind the scenes we're still learning about in court and so so it is pretty interesting, interesting yeah because then you have that picture where like you they, they, did they say like hey come to this yard this address over that fence see that on that flatbed that's it yeah it's like it's on their property and so they're like hey we'll we'll show you to the truck so you can take some pictures of it so that you have proof mm-hmm. which was for me kind of collateral it's like if you're trying to like set me up to because this is the way that the defense has tried to portray me and my podcast is you set out to convict this guy pretty much like you framed this guy, like you set this guy up and now the whole community wants him convicted. And that's just not true. You know, I talked to people who knew Paul from the time he was a little kid until he was growing up and I never found anybody, even close friends who defended him or don't think he did this. So I'm just reporting what I'm hearing and seeing. If anybody, I thought that the sheriff's department was kind of the antagonist of my first several episodes. It was, we kind of know who's responsible, so why aren't they doing anything? So when they first sat down to talk to me, we weren't, we weren't friends. You know, we weren't on the same page with each other. And I've come to learn and respect that there are agents who are working on this case, investigators working on this case, who really care and who want to solve this, and including the sheriff, that, that I was, happily surprised to find out okay they are working on this thing sure. they are working on it yeah. and so we over time we warmed to each other and we realized neither one of us is the enemy and but i think the idea at that point was like we didn't really know who to trust it was like if i had a witness and they wanted to talk to them I'm yeah like, i don't know like and are you gonna the same thing maybe yeah exactly yeah. exactly and it's like are you gonna take all the credit for this are you gonna pretend like this and so i'm glad that we got to a point now where it's like you know what if somebody comes forward to me i'm just gonna tell them to contact you I don't want to get in between. I don't want to have this come out in court that, well, Chris told this witness not to say a certain thing or he told them this. None of that is true. It's just I people reach out to me, and if I believe that what they have is beneficial to the case, it's like you should be talking to the sheriff's department or now the DA's office because this is more important to this than it is to a new episode. Yeah, you know, That's not the priority here. Yeah, I was just, um, as you were telling that story, remembering what a cool moment I thought when – uh, Sheriff Parkinson does this press conference and you're sitting out there just, you know, observing it. And he even shouts out you and, and the work that, you know, your podcast has, has lent, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And I, I didn't expect that. And he certainly didn't have to do it, but I appreciate that he was willing to, to do that because it's, it's tough. And, you know, you get in this position and it's hard not to say, well, this person's getting a lot of credit, but they didn't really do all the work. We did all the work and he didn't do that. He's like, you know, the podcast was beneficial. Yeah. Uh, you ready to take a call? Sure. 903-1974. Uh, good morning. Hey, I have a question that I have thought about for a long time after listening to your podcast. Go ahead. What's your name first? My, uh, my name is Gabe. All right, Gabe. What's your question for Chris? Okay. So my question is, uh, it's about Ruben. Um, he had mentioned on the podcast, or he uh, had mentioned that he was like a volunteer police officer. Has that ever been looked into? And has anyone that Ruben's ever volunteered with been 
like, known. I mean, I feel like, given the circumstances of everything, like, he would know not to deal with police, and, like, he has some sort of, like, knowledge of how to, like, try and go about his situation. It's an interesting question. Yeah, that's something that I definitely looked into. Like, there was, when I first got into this, it was just speculation that he had served as a police officer. I kind of dismissed it at first because there was no proof, and then I uncovered, yeah, in fact, he was a reserve officer in the early 60s in Redondo Beach. Um, and I certainly think his experience working for the police could have played a role in how he chose to respond to this. Um, but I wasn't able to find, and it's going to be hard to substantiate any like law enforcement connection that like helped him cover things up. I think it's just like sure. a, the idea of what's going to happen in an investigation might have played a role in how he chose to act. That's a great question. Appreciate your call. Yeah, thank you guys for taking it. Thanks, man. That was a good question from Gabe. I like that question. Yeah. Yeah, there's got, there's got to be something there, right? You pull this information, you're doing this at some time in your life, and obviously maybe times change a bit. You know, late 60s is definitely different from where times are now, but still, I mean, you're probably keeping these things in mind. I would certainly imagine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got Chris Lambert. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up with him. Uh, he is of the Your Own Backyard Podcast, 903-1974. Good morning. I am up and at him in the morning. I am up and at him in the morning. Up and at him in the morning. It's up and at him in the morning. The Crush 92.5. Chris Lambert is in studio. He is the host of the Your Own Backyard Podcast. We learned a lot in this uh, visit from Chris. Just the dynamic of writing that line from, you know, this uh, a member now of the media in essence, and then also an advocate for Kristen and, you know, has a a deep affinity for what the Smart family has gone through over the years. And the Smart family has a deep affinity for the work that Chris has been doing, yet in these courtroom situations, we're not even talking or or dealing with them. That's got to be so, you know, weird. Like, you know, you should do if you itch your ear twice and they see that it's like that's like a fist bump to them. Right. That's, that's like a hug to them. Yeah. yeah I don't know if that's cool. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've heard in if you follow the trial at all so far, the prelim, that there's been a huge issue raised with people wearing purple. Oh my ties. gosh, I know. And it's like because purple was Kristen's favorite color, you must be wearing a purple tie to signal Purple's that you want canceled Paul now. Convicted of cancel murder. purple. Right. So um, that's been a tough line to walk. And the judge, this judge, hasn't ruled on whether or not that stuff is going to get the case dismissed that's still upcoming and so we're waiting to hear that but it's probably not a good idea to be wearing purple at this point in the yeah. courtroom so like anything that seems like it's biased or the, in any way it's just like easier to steer away from that totally it's not yeah. even worth it yeah yeah um i'm sure it'll be nice to give uh, the family a big hug when all this is said and uh done um a lot of great conversation if you missed any of it we're going to have it all uploaded you can get to uh the crush website of course the up and adam in the morning podcast on Apple Podcasts, we'll have a link. Your music, you are putting together a new album. This is a little bit from your um, your last album. But Chris has been a, a singer-songwriter musician for a long time. And, you know, you would almost think like you were born to do what you're doing here. But, I mean, you're a musician at heart. Yeah, that's what I started out doing. I mean, I the only connection really is that I record both of them by myself at home. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you listen to the podcast and you have different pieces that you'll narrate... I mean, you're scoring those too, right? The music's music. yeah, which is which is again like you put so much on your shoulders to get th- what you feel is the just amount of coverage for this event, you know, this event and everything that all the events that encompass it. So, right. I mean, we look at like what where you went to um, 
thought what you were doing during the prelim was like, my guy's going to get killed doing this, you know? <laughs> yeah. So how are you going to, in what we're going to do in the uh, trial, you got the, the pad that you're staying at, how are you going to like me- keep this measured so you can be at your best but not put too much on yourself? Um, you know, I'll be in the courtroom, I'll be taking notes, and when I get out of court, I'll transcribe those notes as I did, but I'm not going to be doing as exhaustive of a job. I'm not going to try to get every word because mm-hmm. I think people know, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, but there's going to be witnesses that we don't expect. There's going to be people that come out that you're like, whoa, I really want to hear what that person had to say. Or somebody that we've heard from that, like, you know, you know of their existence, but you've never heard their side of the story. Those people are going to come out. So those are the kind of things I want to cover. And I'll just, you know, once a week, I'll get those out. I won't uh, break my neck trying to do it, though. Are you going, are there other pieces of the trial that you're looking forward to seeing because you think they will be moving perhaps a, a pivotal piece of of the situation? Um, I think I'm pretty interested in all the witnesses who have, because reporting on this, a lot of these people didn't want to talk or had already been scared off by earlier people interviewing them. So I left them alone. But then getting to see them speak at the prelim, it was like, this is a, this is a whole human being that we didn't know anything about you know you can only read words on a paper and you expect there's a certain tone behind them or a facial expression and then you see them on the stand and you're like oh that's right there's a lot more to this person and i really appreciate getting to know people that way so i'm hoping to get a fuller picture of what actually went on here i know you're cool either way if something you know brings you in on this trial and you're forced to testify or get subpoenaed or if maybe you're not do you kind of lean in your head and in your heart one direction like God, I kind of hope they call me. Like, I kind of really hope, like, I'm, I dare you, like, call me because I'm ready to go. Or is it kind of like, man, I, I really hope. I just rather, I'd rather just stick to my coverage of it. I'd rather not be involved. No, I go back and forth because it's tough to, you know, just during uh, jury selection, the, the defense attorney said, there's a podcaster involved here that you guys are going to hear a lot about who's tried to make this his life's work. And he said it really kind of snarky. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff where I want to say, wait a minute, I've done so many other things and I'm like working on an album right now. And like, I'm doing the same things I've always done. I just happened to make a documentary about this case when nobody else was doing that. Mm -hmm. And so I would never call this like my life's work. Like I've given up everything to do only this and, and, or, or the implication he's trying to make, which is like, there were dollar signs in my eyes that I saw that this was my opportunity and nothing could be further from the nothing. Jury. So I would love to take the stand to like refute those. So the jury could see that's he's saying this in a certain way, but that's not who I am. Yeah. But the other side of that coin is they do get me on that stand. Their only goal with me on that stand is to get this case thrown out based on what I've done. Or anything that I've, you know, any witness that I've spoken to, they're going to want to get out of there because they're going to say they were biased or they were told or influenced to say a certain thing. Does that scare you? Because that's got to be inside your heart, your biggest fear. Like all you've trying to do with this is get the open truth out in the idea to get the person who's ever responsible for the disappearance of Kristen, you know, uh, accountable for it. And the thought, the mere thought, like I get chills thinking of like them using that against you and successfully getting out of it because of it. It doesn't scare me. It like, it's certainly stressful. Like the idea of like having to go through that, just like sitting through a trial is like stressful and exhausting of an idea. But it's like, I think that, that certainly the community here understands what my goal was and they know that when stuff is thrown out about me, they've seen me, they've seen the way I interact with them and, and in the podcast that I'm not doing that kind of stuff. But a new jury 
might not necessarily be familiar with me. So that's the kind of stuff. It's like, sure, I would almost like to take the stand just so they can see my personality and see that I'm not the person that I'm being painted to be or that there's innocent explanations for these things that the defense is going to throw out and say that the sheriff's department was trying to blank, 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 and the podcaster was fed disinformation. And it's like, let me explain it to you. It's yeah. a lot simpler than they're making it sound. So for that reason, I wouldn't mind taking the stand, but it, it's going to be so stressful just having to worry about all those things that go with it. And then if you do, you're not allowed to talk anymore. I don't know how that works. At some point, there's going to be a gag order enacted if I were subpoenaed that I wouldn't be able to talk. But then that's where the judge would have to rule, like, well, he's media, though. So, like, how is he going to report on this case? How is he going to be on Up and Adam in the morning? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just a difficult line to walk, which is why I think that S.H.I.E.L.D. laws protect journalists in this position. That it's like, I didn't go to school to be a journalist, but I became a journalist in making a documentary. I gave up several years of my life to focus on a documentary, and that's... Those are the protections that come with that is that people who came forward to me and talked to me, they can't you can't have those emails and stuff. That's really private. And they would never nobody would ever grant an interview with a journalist again if that was a possibility. Have you ever picked the brain of a journalist by trade just to say, hey, there's certain things I can be doing. So I'm not doing this at to such an exhaustive extent all the time. You know, I think uh, when I was interviewed by <coughs> Dateline or 48 hours and like those people I spent all the time behind the scenes being like, you guys like hate me <laughs> like, yeah. it, like that you went to school for this and that I'm being interviewed as a subject like as if I'm some journalist or something and they're like no because you did the work yeah. and it's like well can I ask you some questions then because I really don't know what I'm doing sometimes and I don't know where those lines are I think as far as like ethically and all that I figured that out very early on like what do I want to do and what do I not want to do but I have questions like you know I sat through jury selection and I listened to all these people's hardships and their stories I don't want to blast those out if I do an episode about jury selection, like I don't want to share that somebody had a medical condition and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm very aware of that. But am I allowed to share anything that they said? Like some people had some pretty interesting stories that weren't like embarrassing or private that it's like, should we put that out there that this person said this? Because it was interesting the way that the attorneys reacted to that in the courtroom. So I'm still walking that line. I ask people all the time. I also confer with attorneys all the time. Like legally they said like this case v this case. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. And they'll explain it to me. So in these episodes, like when I went through the motions, that's not me guessing what happened in the courtroom. That's me going to attorneys and saying, can you explain this to me? Like I'm five years old so I can explain it back. Yeah. Does uh, Denise Smart's going to testify? I believe so. Yeah. Probably so. Yeah. I just look forward to that moment where, where she sits down in that seat and he has to meet eyes with her. Yeah. You know, whether he will or not. You know, behind, you know, hiding behind that mask, literally hiding behind a mask, but unbelievable. Uh, Chris Lambert is here. I want you to go to his website, yourownbackyardpodcast.com. There you can uh, throw him a couple bucks, uh, buy him a coffee. Look, he does this. Look, first of all, for someone to spend this much time and literally work on something and not, I mean, you're the number one podcast on the planet, you know, and to not commercialize it or do anything, especially when you have the, the um, the blessings from the smart family they're like they've seen what you're like chris come on we, we, we're not going to get offended like go ahead and you still have not done that um you've had you've been approached by people uh whether it's tv or this or that and have not felt like just that ease of stepping into something for fear that it might look cross or whatever you've just had such a pure heart as you've gone through this so i think it's one reason why people are so willing to 
reach out and show you some love. And they can do that on your website, yourownbackyardpodcast.com. There's a donate button. You can uh, go through Venmo. You can do PayPal. Even you know, even if it's a few people throwing five bucks, it's like takes care of the gas when he drives back and forth to his sweetheart covering this case. Um, also, the music. Uh, the new album's going to be coming out maybe like, what, in a couple months or what? Hopefully, like I'm wrapping it up right now, and once trial starts, my focus is going to go back there. But if I can get it done in time, I'd like to put it out as soon as possible. Are you the kind that likes to go perform too? I would love to. Yeah, really? I haven't been able to do that in several years. I know. I'd love to get back to that. Do you, Do you think this, the notoriety and the public persona with the podcast and with the music, they could probably marry pretty well? People be like, oh, I want to go see his music. Oh, look, I like the music. Or do you think it's going to be like two separate sorts of demographics? Maybe. My expectations are not high. I figured that I'll put this album out and it will get about the same amount of fanfare that my last few did, yeah. which is like local, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. small time. And that's all I'm looking towards is, you know, I'd like to get out and tour again. I toured several years back and I love driving around and playing shows in different places. And that's a, about the extent of it. Because this album was written in a time where your life was very devoted to this Kristen Smart case and all of and how that affected you in a lot of ways, you know, at home, in your head, uh, in your heart. Um, how much of that Chris Lambert do we hear in this album? It's probably not as like upfront and easy to pinpoint as that. Like it's certainly like you're not point. singing like I'm going to the trial no, again, like, <laughs> right? Right, but it's it's you have a better voice than that, by the way. To, it's certainly alluding to that I've spent a lot of time focused in one area and have not really paid attention to my own life and the things that I should have been. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really interesting. Also, just like the dynamics between you and uh, your sweetheart. I mean, she's really sharing you with this passion. And this thing that you've been driven to see to completion, which I imagine, although tough, is she, I think it's a really admirable thing for a, a partner to see in you that you I mean that you're, you know, that you see things through and that, you know, so I'm sure even though there's been many times where it may have felt like, you know, it's like a, a struggle or this or that or a give and take that uh, you probably had some really meaningful conversations about this as well. All the time. I joke with her all the time, too. It's like, you didn't sign up for this. You signed mm -hmm. up with the guy that used to play coffee shops in town. Yeah. And this is where you ended up, and so I'm sorry about that. But, yeah. Um, we'll get back to that. Yeah, I'm sure she's really proud of you, as we all are. Our Chris Lambert is here, and um, follow him on Instagram. Where Do we, do we give your other Instagram out? Because that's want, yeah, because yeah, that's it's Chris Lambert music, yeah. And that's where you do like the stuff I Googled this week, and, and if you want to go into... Uh, the uh, the bad movies that they're watching and right. it's pretty funny. Yeah. I like it. I'm really entertained by you and your girls, uh, Insta. Uh, so go check out uh, Chris Lambert music. Also, um, your own backyard podcast dot com. So great to have you in, my man. It's really also. I would love for you to come back in or or update us over the phone or sure via Zoom if you're down at your leisure. And again, I really meant that when I said if you have issues with like time there's only so much you if you want me to like cut some audio edit it for your podcast like you don't need to credit me you don't need to pay me like just just if you need the help like i'm here for you i really appreciate that cool brother all right well thank you for being up and out in the morning have a wonderful weekend my friend you too up and out in the morning with adam montiel weekday mornings 6 to 10 a.m the crush 92.5 the perfect blend